So I was I was impressed with that too. Um, Jessica was talking about when I used to leave notes by the name of Leroy. Um, and then I was me and Brian Pulliam were talking about good dog names, and uh, Leroy would be a good dog name. And then we were talking about our dad's names and how our dad's names would be good dog names. So my dad's name's Merle. And so we're testing it out. Like if you're on the front porch and you're calling for your dog, you don't know. Merle, come back here. And his dad's name's Wayne. Wayne, get back here. Wayne, get back. I was just like, man, those are good dog names right there. But Leroy. Anyways, I digress. Also, I mean, I could, I love worshiping to the keys, and uh, if I ever need to fill in, I hope y'all like worshiping to uh, Memory from Cats. That's the only song I know from seventh grade piano lessons, and Lean On Me, but that, that goes like one, one stanza, as far as I know, but um, this morning I want to talk about what's commonly known as the prodigal son story, but um, I've heard other, other preachers call it the, the two lost sons or the good father, and I think those, those titles are a little bit more appropriate, a little bit more accurate than just the prodigal son because it's, it's about the father. It is about the younger son. It's also about the older son, and then it's also about Jesus. And Jesus isn't, Jesus is telling the story, but he doesn't mention himself in the story. And uh, today we're just looking at the younger brother, but Jesus, one of the things, uh, one of his titles is, you know, God gets to be whoever he wants to be, right? (laughs) And so, even in the, in the prophecy about Jesus in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, where it says he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. So Jesus is, one of his titles is actually Father. All right? We think of him as the Son, as the Shepherd, as our Savior. But he, was, he came as Everlasting Father because he is the exact representation of the Father. And so the easiest thing to do went to tell people, is like, hey, you want to get a good look at God? Look at the life of Jesus. That's what the Father looks like. And so Jesus was so one with the Father that he actually could be called by his name, Everlasting Father. One of the Je- other uh, titles that Jesus has is he's, he's our older brother. He's the firstborn. All right? And so... Jesus is, you have the younger son, the wayward younger son. You have the older brother. I'll just call him the bad older brother. And then you have Jesus, who's the good older brother. But um, you'll have to come in a couple of weeks if you want to hear about that. And so, but I don't want to, I, I don't want to preach two sermons. That's, Jessica's like, hey, you preached like three sermons today. You need to break it up. So anyways, I try to. I try to do that. It's good advice. Husbands, listen to your wives. They know more than we do. That's why wisdom is personified as a woman in Proverbs, and so we need to listen. 
All right, so I want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read uh, verses 11 through 31 here. So Jesus is speaking. He's telling the story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swan. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swan were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat, so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth as prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. And so I know how many of y'all have heard a, a message on this story before? How many of you heard it more than once? All right. If you've gone to this church, you've, you've heard it more than once. And so, but part of the reason, there's reasons why preachers keep preaching things. I remember whole, uh, Graham Cook, he was uh, speaking at a conference and he spoke on the same thing every night. And uh, somebody came up to him and said, why'd you speak on this, like the same thing every night? He says, uh, 
the Holy Spirit obviously thought you weren't getting the message. <laughs> and so, um, and so, I'm not saying this even about y'all. I'm just saying this is even for me. I've read this story over and over and over. And you can, this is the thing about God's word, right? I read this when I first started walking with Jesus. I've read this in the middle and I'm reading it now. And it's never ceases to like touch your heart. But this is really the gospel. This, this story hits on any, like can hit, will hit on anybody. So it's, it's going to, it's, and so it's like a, the gospel in a parable here in a story. And it's such a revelation of the father's heart, which is what Jesus came to reveal. He came to show us the heart of the father. And so first thing we need to understand is who is Jesus speaking to? And so he's speaking to younger brothers, which in this case would be tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, people who weren't going to temple or to synagogue, you know, people who are just doing their own thing. And uh, how many of y'all have done your own thing at some point in your life? <laughs> and so... These are the younger brothers. And then you have the elder brothers who are the religious leaders, the scribes, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You know, the Pharisees, so what, how did the Pharisees and the Sadducees come about? Well, you had, and there's two deportations out of Israel, of the people of Israel. You had one that happened in... Uh, Seven, tell me, help me out, Phil. This one's slipping my mind. Do you remember? It's Babylonian or the, seventh, the first one, northern Israel, Babylonian. But which, which year do you remember? That was the second one. 586 was the second one, but seven something was the first one. And so you, so they, the worst thing that could have ever happened to a Jew is to get taken out of your land because what was, what were they coming out of Egypt into? The promised land. So they're attached to their land. Like we don't really have that kind of identification with land. But people in the Middle East did, and especially uh, Jewish people. So the land was like part of the family. It was part of the tribe. It was, they were attached to the land. And so if for them to move off and go somewhere else was... Uh, a great morning. It was, it was like losing a member of your family almost. And so when they got deported first to, to Babylon and then the second deportation, 586, was to Assyria, they're away from their land. Foreigners have taken over their land. And there was a few Jew Jewish people that were left behind, but most of them got export, uh, deported. And so these uh, Jews that were in Assyria and Babylon, the reason they got deported is because they rebelled against God. And it was the judgment of God because they wouldn't listen. Uh, when you read the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah was preaching, the Jewish people were prospering. It was, I mean, they were affluent, they were prosperous. And so what they would do is they'd go in, and this is where the, if you've heard it, uh, this is said in the New Testament, but you, 
may have heard the scripture before. It says they, they worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Because they're going into the temple, they're making their sacrifices, they're doing everything they're supposed to do. And then right after they go make sacrifices, they'd go worship in other idolatrous temples, they'd go lay with prostitutes, they'd uh, extort their neighbor, all these types of things. And, and God's like, I, I desire obedience rather than sacrifice. And, and, and so you have this message in Isaiah of like, you, you worship me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And they didn't, and he sent, and God sent Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you know, Isaiah, all the prophets to warn them. They didn't listen. The judgment did come, taken out of their land. And now they're 70 years away from their land. And while they're in captivity, they resolve in their heart, this will never happen again. This will never, ever happen again. We're not going to be taken from our land. And so what they resolve to do in their hearts is we're going to follow the law of God to the T. We're going to cross every T. We're going to dot every I. We're going to do it. And you know what's even better? We're going to make up some of our own laws. Because obeying laws is even better. If obeying God's laws is better, then we can like make up some of our own stuff because we're going to be like, we're going to be righteous. We're going to, so they, the, the Pharisees, they fasted at least twice a week. They tithed every single thing. They're in their garden. Uh, they have a mint plant. They're like, I'm, I'm giving a tenth of that. Human, everything was tithed. Everything, uh, you know, they washed. They were clean. They didn't defile themselves. And so this holiness that came out of their own strength also separated them from God. <laughs> they, knew, they, had the, they had the scriptures memorized, but they didn't know God. And it was because they resolved in their own heart, they relied on their own strength. Now listen, when I, when I, listen, when I read about the Pharisees not believing Jesus, I, sometimes I'll tell the Lord, like, Lord, I could totally have seen myself doing the same thing, what the Pharisees did. And Graham Cook, again, he, the way he puts it, he says, we're all Pharisees trying to get healed. And so we have this religious bent in us because it, religion relies on effort, relies on ourself. It's independent. It's not dependent. It doesn't require a relationship. All it requires is a formula, which is easy. One, two, three, pray in the temple, give a tithe, do this, wash, got it. Don't need God because there's no tension in that. That's the radical middle is, is living in the tension of being non-religious and religious. And so some people say, I'm, I'm free in Christ, I'm free in Christ, let's go, let's go do whatever we want. And, and so they're, you know, they're, they're living hedonistic lives that's not fe they're not feasting on Jesus, they're feasting on everything else in the world, but man, I'm forgiven, there's grace. And that's actually a religious spirit too. Because that's a formula. There's no relationship. But when, but how do you know, he's like, hey, how do you know uh, where to go to school? How do you know who to marry? How do you know 
How many days to fast? How do you know? You know what I'm saying? You got to like, listen. Graham Cook's coming up a lot. I'm thinking of all these Graham Cook stories. Graham Cook, he said he was fasting one time. And he was like in the 20th day. And he wasn't going to stop till God told him to stop. And he said, God spoke to him. He said, how's the diet coming? And he was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why didn't you? So he was basically, Graham had thought it was a good idea for him to fast, but the Lord hadn't told him to. <laughs> and so the Lord's like, hey, how's the diet coming? And he says, you could have told me like at day three. You know, but you know, he, he was just, you know, giving the Lord a hard time. But sometimes the Lord, you know, he wants you to remember the lesson. <laughs> so sometimes the spanking's how we learn it. Um, so anyways, you have the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And the story of the two sons is actually, if you, when you read Luke 15, the first story is the story of uh, the lost sheep, right? We've heard about that. Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. The shepherd finds that, that one sheep, puts him on, the, shepherd on, uh, the sheep on his shoulders. Everybody celebrates that they find that one sheep. And it says that's all of heaven celebrates when one sinner repents. And then you have a lady who finds she's lost a valuable coin. And she's searching throughout the house and she can't find it. And then she, when she does find it, everybody in the neighborhood rejoices with her. And then they get to the prodigal son story. And so Jesus is speaking to Pharisees. And the Pharisees know what Jesus is doing because the way in that culture things worked is if I rebuked you, the first time, if I said, uh, Greg, tuck in your shirt, and Greg, Greg didn't listen to me, the second time I said, Greg, tuck in your shirt, that's, the second rebuke is kind of humiliating. And then I was like, Greg, tuck in your shirt. The third rebuke was supposed to be like utterly like shameful. All right. It's supposed to just be like a, a spanking. And you would, it was very rare and you, and you very rarely would even do that to another adult. But here's Jesus. And these three parables, the lost, the, the lost sheep is the first rebuke. The lost coin is the second rebuke. And the two sons is the third rebuke. And the Pharisees know what Jesus is doing. No, they know that he, he's rebuking them for not going after the wayward ones, the sinners, for not having a relationship with them. All right? But he not only in the last one talks about going after the wayward ones, but he also talks about you, not only are you not going after the lost, you're lost. All right. And so the lost sheep, even in the, these parables, the lost sheep represent, represents Jesus as the good shepherd, the lost coin. She searches for the coin with a light or a lamp. That's the Holy Spirit. And then in the lost sons, you have the picture of God the Father. So we're going to talk about the, the lost younger brother today. And it says, you know, he, this man had two sons, and the younger son says, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So this would have been a shocking statement. 
and a sign of deep respect in that culture. Because essentially he's, he's asking his father to die. And not only that, but he's asking, so what it says, when he asked for the estate, it says the father divided up the wealth between them. So not only did he give his share of the inheritance to the older brother, I mean to the younger brother, but he also gave it to the older brother at that time. So he, the father went ahead and acted as if he were dead. And he's like, all right, the older son got two thirds, the younger son got a third. All right. Now, in this, so he's, he no longer, dad's no longer serving a purpose in his life. He only wants relationship with the father for the things that he can give him. And now he's ready to launch out on his own. And so he's like, hey, dad, don't need you. Drop dead. Give me my stuff. <laughs> Give me my stuff so I can go do what I want. And I know so many times we relate with God that way. Hey, God, give me my stuff so I can go do what I want. It's not about relationship with him. We do value God for what he can give us, not for who he is. The, the thing is, is when we value God for who he is, we get all the stuff anyways. But it can't be. It's, it's a, I heard um, Roland Baker say, he's like, when you uh, don't need anything, then you can receive all things. He says, when you live from an eternal perspective, you can actually enjoy the temporary things. And it's the same way with the father. It's like when you just want to be with the father, you're like, hey, whatever hand I have in life, I'm good. It's like, I'm blessed. <laughs> then you can actually enjoy the greater things that he wants to give you. And then you can actually be trusted with, with more. But you really, but you can't even have an eye for like, hey, I want greater things. So I'm going to try to value the father <laughs> for who he is. You know what I'm saying? You can't, you really just have to be okay with like, Hey, you're with me. Jesus is with me. That's what he told Abraham. He said, the promise to Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, Abraham, his name was Abram at the time. He said, Abram, I am your shield and your great reward. And then he gave Abraham all these cattles and herds and, and servants. But he was telling Abraham from the get-go, he said, I'm your reward. I'm with you. I'm with you. So the younger son was weary of the relationship with his father, and he wants out. Now the father responds to the younger son, and he says, or he, he, get, he divvies out the, the inheritance, and the father's response to the son is equally as shocking as the request from the son. There's a guy named Kenneth Bailey who lived with Bedouin tribes in the Middle East for a number of years just doing research on their culture, the way they did things. This was back in like the 1960s that this guy did this. And he asked a father about this situation. He said, listen, if your, if your son were to come up to you and ask for his inheritance, what would you do? And he said, he didn't even hesitate. He's like, oh, I'd beat him unmercifully. Like, no hesitation. 
because it was that offensive of a thing to do. Because he's like, he's asking me to die. And he's, he's leaving the family. He's leaving the, like, yeah, we'd beat him unmercilessly. And so the father's response is said he divided his wealth between them. It's, it's, what's interesting is the word for wealth here is actually the word bios, which means life. Where we get biology from. So you could read it. So the father divided his life between them. <laughs> and sometimes we see um, God the Father as like this, a witness of what happened to Jesus on the cross. And maybe we see him as sad about it, but we see him as apart from it. And there's a mural in a cathedral somewhere. I can't remember which one it is, but it's got Jesus on the cross. And then there's a shadow behind Jesus with arm, that's bigger with its arms outstretched on the, behind Jesus. It's like a big shadow. And somebody said, what's the shadow? And, and, and they said, that's the Father. That's the Father being crucified with the Son, essentially. Jesus and the Father were one. So Jesus, God the Father wasn't standing apart, but he, God the Father, <laughs> he, he lost his life in a sense. I mean, when, when, you lose, when people lose a child, they say, I lost a part of me, right? They came forth from you, right? So they literally are a part of you. And so the same way, the same thing happened to God the Father. So the father, he was given much more than capital to his son. He was parting with his life. And the father was giving up identity and stature in the community. And so when the father gave him his inheritance, everybody in the, in the community was like, did you hear what Travis did? Did you hear what, did you hear what he did? Can you believe he did that? What a weakling. That's what they thought was like, he was, he, that's weak. It's a weak father. But they didn't understand, you know, the ways of love. The ways of love is I lay my life down for you. I take shame upon myself that you may be restored. And so here's the father understanding that in order to capture his son's heart, for there to be a chance of that, he's got to, Give him what he asked for and trust that maybe one day he'll come back home. And so here's, here's the father, all the shame coming from the community. He's enduring all the lies about him. He's weak. He's weak. He's, that's shameful. Can't believe he did that. All the accusations, all the shame, and the father's just bearing it because they don't understand. Now, I'm telling you, how many of y'all like being misunderstood? Nobody. That's like one. Humans hate that. Humans hate being misunderstood. No, 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 you don't understand. Let me explain it to me. Let me debate with you. We do not like being misunderstood because we care what people think. But here's the father, his love for his son outweighing 
all the accusations, all the misunderstanding. Nobody knew what he was doing. Nobody understood what was going on. And how much of that relates to Jesus when Jesus is saying, I have to go to the cross. And Peter's like, get behind me, Satan. They were looking for another David. The Jews, and, they, and Jesus is, he's, he's saying, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, awesome. Rome's about to go down. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we're getting our land back. We're going to get these Romans out of here. And we're going to return back the way we were in the days of Isaiah. And it's going to be good again. But Jesus was misunderstood even by those closest to him. And he endured the shame. Jesus is on the cross. They put a sign above his head. Here is the king of the Jews. And I just love the ways of the father, that the father, even in that moment, Jesus is naked and bleeding, flesh ripped apart, on a Roman cross, the worst way to die. And he has the sign, king of the Jews. And the Pharisees say, take that sign down. And Pontius Pilate says, what has happened has happened. And I just, I just love the fact that the father's like, that is his name, and it will not change. <laughs> so I, just love, I, do, I do love the way the father drew a line in the sand for Jesus right there. He's like, devil, you can't go any further than this. So the father, he, gi he gives up his identity, his stature. And so the younger brothers essentially ask the father to tear his life apart. Just think about the cross whenever the son asks the father to do that. So he says he goes to a distant country. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. So loose living, um, a lot of people think it was, he just was spending it on prostitutes, uh, gambling or whatever. That word loose living means he was just being like, just <laughs> kind of throwing his, his money away. But part of what he was trying to do is when you, when you separate yourself from your family, you have to establish your own name. And so what he was doing and so one way to do that in that culture, this is according to this guy, Kenneth Bailey, I was talking about, is you throw parties and you kind of put on this thing. You're like, hey, I'm kind of a big deal. And you're trying to make a name for yourself. And so he went off into this distant country and nobody knew him. He's like, I got I to make a name for myself. My family's not here. They don't know who I am. So he's throwing parties. You know, it's extravagant. There's probably prostitutes there. He's, you know. They're feasting, they're celebrating, eating and drinking and being merry, and then it, the funds run out. And then the people are like, Travis isn't throwing any more parties? All right, see you, man. <laughs> I mean, did the world ever do that to you? <laughs> the moment <laughs> you don't have anything to offer it, peace out. It's like, Everybody disappears. And this is what happened to the younger son. He's trying to make a name for himself. And so how many times do we, we have that, I call it the orphan mentality. It's like, I want to make a name for myself. I want to be known. 
And it's not, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be known because of my family name. I want to, I want to make my own name. Because if you, even as a son, if you're in, in your father's house, if you did something good, it would be like, your daddy, your daddy's doing a good job. Your daddy's, hey, your daddy's a great man. And so daddy got all the praise. And there's parts of us in, in us that we, we don't like that. But I want some of that. I want some glory. <laughs> I, I may just be speaking for myself, but there is that, there's been times where the Lord has confronted me with that. And I, I've told the story about the Delta Force, you know, God saying, hey, Travis, I want you to be my Delta Force soldier. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. God, it sounds radical. It sounds warrior-ish. And then he's like, are you okay with not being seen? And I was like, mm, no. I, was like, I told the Lord, I was like, if I'm being honest, no, I'm, I'm currently not okay with that. This was back in 2004. I said, but I know you're right. And get, like, let my heart get there. Help my heart get there. And then I had a, a vision one time where I was fighting on the, on the battlefield with Jesus. And we're fighting like these ghoulish demons. And I'm fighting. And it's just like this endless army of, of, of demons. And I'm killing them. But there's just like 10,000 replacing each one. And I look over at, and Jesus is like off to my right, and I'm fighting, and I, and I look over at Jesus, and he's, he's, not, he's not fighting. He's, he's doing this. And I went, Jesus, why aren't you fighting? He said, I can't fight with you all the way over there. And I was like, what? I said, what do you mean? He says, I can only fight when you're in me. And I was like, but I want to fight for you. I don't want to fight in you, Jesus. And he went, it's kind of, I was like, your choice. And so I'm fighting, and I went, okay. I was like, okay, Lord. And, and so I went over to Jesus, and I stepped into Jesus, and I disappeared. It wasn't like me and Jesus' face created some new face. <laughs> and, and we were like, no, I disappeared into Jesus, and it was just Jesus. And then once I stepped into him, he, was, he took his sword, and it was like that Lord of the Rings thing. He was, was like he'd swing a sword, and like a hundred would, would fall with each swing. And that was the end of the vision. But it was that whole thing. I said, I want, I want to know, be known as the guy that fights for you. It sounds really good. It sounds really good. I fight for Jesus. But in my heart, it's like, look at me. I'm a warrior. Look at me. I'm a warrior. Tell me I'm a warrior, that gummit. But that's what, that's what our heart's looking for. Looking for the pats on the back. It's like, man, Travis. <laughs> and, you, and you do get those. You get some of those. And it's not wrong. It's not the, somebody else's fault for giving you a compliment, but it's like, what am I doing with that? And so this, this younger son is doing this. This is the part of the younger son that, 
we may not be totally away from God, but there's this part of us is like, I'm trying to make a name for myself apart from the Father. And it just doesn't work. We run out of capital. We run out of strength. Another part of this, it says, he went to a distant country. And it just made me think, it's like, we're, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, we're aliens and strangers in this world. We wander from being centered in the Father's heart and we get caught up in, being, in the ways of the world. But we weren't created for the ways of the world. We, aren't, we weren't created to step on people to climb the corporate ladder. We weren't created to uh, say one thing and do another just so we can get an advantage. How many times have you seen that happen in business? Somebody says one thing and they do another so that they can just get a little more profit. It's one of the things, it's one of the things that, you know, it just gets me fight. I'm like, I can't stand that because, you know, you'll have a, you know, I'm just using this for an example because I know that there's uh, good people in every industry who are doing it the right way. But if you have like a big, say, construction company and they hire, they subcontract out the uh, mom and pop plumber to do some work, what that construction company to do is because they've got a lot of cash flow is that they can just hold off paying that plumber because he doesn't have the cash flow. And then maybe they say, yeah, we'll pay you 15,000 to do this job. And then they keep, they don't pay him. They don't pay him. He's like, hey, dude, can you pay me? Can you pay me? They're like, well, we can give you uh, 10,000 and we'll call it even. But, and the guy's like so desperate for cash. So he's got to get something. So he agrees. All right, I'll take the 10,000. That happens all the time. All the time. Stuff like that in the business world. And it grieves the father's heart. It grieves the father's heart. And we're, so that's one of the things that we're not called to do business that way. What if we were the opposite? It was like, hey man, here's your 15. You did such a good job. Here's another two grand. What if we did that? What if you promote, what if you uh, bragged on the guy who's competing for you for a promotion to your boss? I mean, who are you trusting? God is the one that promotes. That's the way the Bible says. It's like, you, all things come from him. I'm just saying there's a different way. We're, we're aliens and strangers in this land because in Psalm 20, it says, we will celebrate with joy over your victory. So that's what heaven looks like. That's what heaven looks like. Is the moment Phil gets a breakthrough, everybody's just like, we're throwing a parade for Phil. Even though we may not have had a breakthrough yet because that's what heaven is. What did it say what happens when one sinner repents in heaven? Party time in heaven, celebration. Is it because that person, that sinner deserved it? Did they deserve a party? No, it's because they saw, they got a picture of the father. And they're like, I'm gonna come back home. I'm gonna come back home to father. And they're like, yes, you're starting to believe. The right way. It's not about doing, it's about believing. It's not about what we deserve, it's about what we believe. Because nobody would no, there's no one righteous, there's no not one, there's nobody who seeks after God. 
So grace has even been given to us to, to actually desire him. <laughs> so, and so it said that he was in need. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in, the, in that country, and he began to be impoverished, which means in need. So there was a, this perfect storm that this guy found himself in. Doesn't have any money. There's a famine. Nobody else has any money. I mean, if they do, it's very little. And so impoverished means to be in need or left. This word uh, impoverished means to be in need, left behind. You come late, you're inferior in power, you're devoid of worth. He's late to the party. He's, he's been forgotten. He doesn't have anything. I mean, this is where he's at. And it says he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed the swan. So in that, in that culture, when you uh, join yourself to somebody, this would be similar to when you're at a stoplight and somebody starts washing your car window without asking you. And, and then he asks you like for some money. And you kind of, you're like, you're in this position. It's like, well, I didn't really ask you, but kind of want to help you out now. <laughs> and so here's like some money. And it, it doesn't feel great on your end. But like, but this was a culture of hospitality. And so they, what they really valued was like, okay, this guy, he's done this to me. I'm kind of got to give him something. And so he's feeding um, he joined himself to this guy, and this guy's like, all right, I, I don't really have anything for you, but you can, like, feed the pigs. And one of the reasons why this guy had him feed the pigs is, like, for number one, he knows he's Jewish. They're not supposed to touch pigs. And so he's trying to get rid of them. He's trying to get rid of them. He's like, all right, I'm going to give this guy the job that will make him run, like that, that no Jew will do. I'm going to feed him to the pigs. And not, but, the, but the son is in such a, he's hit rock bottom so bad that he's like, I don't, I'm going to keep feeding the pigs. And hey, what they're eating looks pretty good. So he's, he's eating the fig pods that the pigs, that the, um, the pigs were eating. And the figs actually came from the, the, a sycamore tree type fig. And that's eating that was defiling. And so it was just like defilement upon defilement, low upon low. And he's at his rock bottom. Now, how many of you know that there's different rock bottoms for different people? But you got to hit your rock bottom. So there's sometimes people's rock bottom, they, they still got money in the bank. <laughs> and they still, you know, they're not in like, they're not financially ruined. Or sometimes that does happen. Or their family's taken away because they've just, you know, they've destroyed their family or they've separate, they've just been harmful to their family. They've been abusive, whatever it may be. And then, and then you see people who they've lost everything. Their financial ruins, they, they've been in, they have lost loved ones and they still aren't coming home. Like you, and you, you're wondering, where's the bottom for this person? That's not, we're not, that's not for us to figure out. But the rock bottom, what this picture 
it looks a little bit different for each of us. For this son, this is what it looked like. And so he says he came to himself. Some, some translations say he came to his senses. And what this means is that he, got, he sobered up. He kind of like the deception, whatever he had been thinking before, it kind of, it's like when Paul had the scales fall from his eyes, he's just, he was like, why don't I go back home to my dad? My dad loves me. And like, he gave me this inheritance. And so like, he, I know he's merciful. Maybe he will receive me back as one of his servants. And so the deception was broken off and it was because he was humble. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Timothy Keller says, I heard, he's got this quote, he says, um, it's not about conservative or liberal, it's not about um, postmodern or non-postmodern, it's not about right and left, it's not all the, all the opposing forces, he says, what it, everything boils down to is are you humble or are you proud? So if you're a proud conservative, it's not going to help you very much. If you're a proud Democrat, not going to get a lot of help. If you're proud, period, you're not going to get a lot of help. <laughs> God opposes the proud. That's it. God gives grace to the humble. That's it. So he came back to himself and then he developed a plan. We like plans. He's like, I know what I'll do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to return her home and admit to dad that I, that I was wrong and forfeit my right to be his son. So he understood that the community and more than likely his father would consider him to be dead. He understood that. He's like, I, I'm going to be dead to everybody. So I'm going to come back and offer myself as a hired hand. Somebody forgot to write the end of that sentence right there. Uh, so he goes, ask dad, he's gonna ask dad to make me one of your hired men. So this is different from being a servant. Servants worked on the, on the estate and they were provided for, they didn't earn a wage. So they got, they got food and clothing by working on the property. The hired hand was more of somebody who was like a tradesman who got hired out for a wage to do a job, just like electrician or plumber or whatever. And so he's, this is what he's, he's coming back to his father and he's like, hey, can I apprentice under one of the hired men so that I can earn a wage and pay you back? Because a servant can't pay the father back. And this is what, and he knows, the, the son understands that you have to make restitution, not only with the father, but with the community. And so he's like, I got to go back. I can hire myself out. I can learn a trade. I can start making money. And I can like pay my dad back the money. I can make restitution. And so this you're seeing like a, 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 like a real heart change in the son, right? He's like, I don't have to be a son anymore. Like, I just, 
I just want to be a hired hand for my dad. I just want to try to restore what I took. You see where his heart's at? He's not thinking about, man, if I just go back home, I can start eating meat again. He's thinking about what, how he affected his relationships. I can't believe I did that to my dad. I can't believe I did that to my community. And so I've got to, he's taking ownership for his problems. And this is like the first, this is the first step of being healed of anything. He's taking ownership. He's taking ownership for your, for your stuff. It's the first sign, it's when addicts get healed of their addictions, it's because they take ownership. Jessica's dad is a, uh, what does he call himself? A recovering alcoholic. And he got sober in 99, I mean 91. So one of the things that um, he went through AA, they have the 12 steps. One of the steps is Jessica said he had a legal pad and he tried to, he tried to remember everything that he did to Jessica, the way he hurt her, wasn't, it's, it's not about him, it's about how did I affect you when I was an alcoholic? He says, hey, the time I hung your head out the truck, the truck window going down the highway, will you forgive me? Yes. What were some other things? Yeah, so he just, you know, it was two different sessions where he sat me down for like an hour and just said, will you forgive me for... You know, the way I treated your mama, will you forgive me for throwing your shoes out the window on the way to the football game? Will you forgive me for, you know, just on and on details? And as an 11-year-old, I just said, sure, <laughs> forgive you, uh, without a whole lot of feeling. Um, later in life, I realized that that was where a lot of my healing came from, was being able to, with this humility, brought me healing. So her dad restored the relationship. And this is, this is where the younger brother's at. So the, then you have the running father. And so the father sees him from a great way off, and the father runs to him. And the picture of this is that uh, houses back in that day, they had flat roofs. And that was often the place that people would pray. They'd go up to the roof and pray. And reading between the lines a little bit, I imagine this father was up on the roof every day. The last time he saw his son, his son was going east, and so he's facing east on the rooftop, praying, looking for the day his son's coming back home. And who knows how long the, the son was away, it doesn't say. But it says, you know, there's this one day he was praying, he sees the silhouette of a man. He's like, that's my son. That's my son. And any other dad would be like, Maybe he, he knew that was his son, but he's like, oh, he's dead. He's not getting any help from me. But this father sees him, and he starts running. Now, another shameful thing for a man, if you're a patriarch, you're a respected man in the community, then you would never be caught running. Only children would do that. It's shameful for a man to run anywhere because you don't, the way they thought is like, you're not trusting God to bring it to you. And so it was shameful for him to run, but even to run, he had to gird up his loins, which means 
you tie up that long robe where your legs can get free to run. And it was shameful for a man to show his ankles, like that much skin. They, I'm telling you, being, being naked was like really, really shameful. Remember what happened to Noah? He, he got drunk one night. His sons discovered him naked. Ham was one of them. And they, they told him, hey, dad's naked in the tent. And then his other two sons took a blanket and walked backward so they wouldn't look at him and covered their father. And what did the Lord do with the two sons that covered their father? He blessed them. And then Ham and the other one got, uh, got cursed. And so the father sees him from a great way off and the son did not have to grovel his way back into the father's arms. And so the moment you come to your senses and start taking steps back to the father's house, he comes and runs out to meet you on that road to redemption. So he, we have a father that runs to meet us. He's not doing this. Almost there. A little more effort. We're five feet away. He's like, almost there. Come on. No, he's... <laughs> the moment we, we do this, we, t- we turn away and we're like, I'm going back home. Father's doing, he's just booking it back to us. And so you have the restoration process. The father ran out to meet the son. He puts his best robe on him. Now, the best robe was the father's robe. <laughs> that was the best robe in the house. So he puts the father's robe on the son. He puts sandals on his feet. And so the son's just hoping, like, I get, hoping to work for dad. And he's like, nah, you're not a servant because servants didn't wear, uh, or hired men either, didn't wear sandals. Only sons wore the sandals. He put a ring on his finger. This was the insignia that, hey, you can do business in my name. So if he were to go out into the, the marketplace and he's got this father's ring on him, they'd see, oh, you're, uh, you're Bill's son. He's like, yeah, you see that ring? He's like, yeah, dad wants 30 bushels of wheat. I'm like, okay, I see the ring. We'll put it on his tab. And you go back home, you're doing business on behalf of, the, of your father. And you see the parallel there, what, what are we doing? We're doing, we're doing business on behalf of our father, carrying his authority. But we're not only doing it on his behalf, we're doing it with him. We're co-laboring with him because we got that robe on. <laughs> we're clothed in his righteousness. We're clothed in his power. And then he killed the fattened calf, which uh, was a total delicacy Back in that day, it was a rare, when you killed the fattened calf, it was a rare occasion. And so here's the restoration process. It's not just, and so when you, when he killed the fattened calf, when you had a moment like that, it was a community event. Because you're like, man, this is, this is a time to party. And so what happened was the fathers, when he threw the party, it was not only to celebrate, but it was for the purpose of restoring the son back to the community. And he's telling everybody in the community, he's like, my son's not dead to me. He's not dead. He's back right where he left. 
And so I want all of you to treat him the way you treated him before he left. Because in my eyes, nothing has changed. So it's not only restoration to the father, it's restoration to the community. But the father set it up. (laughs) And so this is the picture of what humility can do for us, really. (laughs) Humbling ourselves, saying, God, I just want to live under your covering. Just want to live in your house. I just want to know your heart. Don't want anything else. I don't want to try to do anything in my own strength anymore. I'm tired of it, God. Tired of trying to do things my own way. I'm tired of trying to make a name for myself. That is when we get everything. That's when we get all of heaven at our disposal. You have it positionally, but you can't access it. Your heart is the key to to access it. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, but if, you're, if, you're, if your heart doesn't want to live under the Father, you can't get to it all. So your heart is the, is the key to access what God's already purchased for you. All right, let's stand up. And if... Uh, um, yeah, Julia, if you'll come back up here. Play the keys. We're going to worship to one more song. And if this invites you to, uh, to let the Lord touch your heart. If you, need, if you need to let him love on you, let him love on you. If you need to, you may need to make restitution with somebody or with him or whatever it is. It's just, it's just come before the Lord and like, Lord, I want to take ownership from where I'm at right now. I want to live under your covering. I don't want to make a name for myself. I just want to be in your house. <laughs> I, want, I want anything that I do, I want you to get the glory for it.